Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Facebook Live. I'm John Zerfle, your director here at the American School of Warsaw. This is our regular town hall. Uh, we're together on July 8th. I can't believe it's July already. I hope all of you are having a wonderful uh, time out there, enjoying your summer vacation. I'm back on Switcher Live, and I'm in the Teaching and Learning Center tonight, which has turned into our command center for our planning for school opening come August 18th. So I'm excited to be here and be able to present to you tonight more of the details that are now coming together for school opening. I only see about eight people online, but I know that we'll be recording this and making it available for all to review in the days ahead through our normal channels. Uh, Zimplicity Director's Desk, if you want to go there, or if you are subscribed to Apple Podcasts, uh, you can access it there. And of course, the recording remains in the ASW Parents Group as well, um, so that you can access it there. And all the uh, earlier uh, meetings are all there, back to the very beginning when we started this back in March. So you can always go back anytime and pick up some of those old, wonderful uh, episodes for a quick rerun. Um, We've got lots of information to share with you tonight. The audit is generally done. There's a few minor tweaks that are being completed today. Uh, I'll be discussing it with the board's Monitoring and Risk Management Committee uh, tomorrow evening in greater depth. We're already planning around it. As you know, we've been doing some parallel processing on this. But I thought tonight, before we go into the bulk of July and a lot of the work that's ahead, would be to give you more of the aligned details uh, that are coming together. And so we'll uh, do it uh, this way. Uh, this is, of course, Facebook Live. It's July 8th, 2020, uh, 7 o'clock tonight, and I'm glad you're all with me. We're up to 15 participants so far. By the way, on Facebook, uh, if you haven't figured it out already, there's a comment stream, and you can plug your comments in there, including your questions, and I'll be scrolling through those later as we get into the evening um, here from my uh, command center at the TLC. Um, let's start with alignment with audit. Um, basically, we're in a process right now where we've received much of the audit and have done a lot of deep diving with our EPEXpert experts. Uh, you all were very appreciative of Dr. Olashuk being with us at our last Facebook Live event. And we've done quite a bit of work since then. We've got now a 60-page document uh, that is our guidelines for getting ready, all of the backdrop, the analysis of our site, uh, the facility plans, as well as uh, the uh, expert advice of Dr. Olashuk and his team at Epexpert. And we're beginning to align this with some of our earlier planning and also make our plans going forward. Uh, we modified our priorities as part of this audit process and we reinforced some key principles. Uh, we have an understanding um, that we all have to grasp, though, of this changing landscape. Um, and things are changing on a daily basis. Even today, new things coming out. Uh, we're, of course, seeing the, the surge of cases in the United States, other places, even within Europe, where new spikes are coming back on the table. Uh, we're watching and, and digesting all that information. And this is also the season when lots of research reports from that first six months to a year of dealing with this pandemic are starting to come to fruition and they're starting to be published and so they're guiding us and helping to guide our actions. And I'm going to share a couple of those with you later in this presentation, we, which means that we have to maintain this ability to stay agile. We have to stay uh, in a constant state of being ready to adjust as more becomes known. Our risk levels are pretty static. We know that when we're in virtual school and closed, that's risk level four. And so we're going to be moving to risk level three as we open school in August. And the relaxing of our practices can continue as we move from level three to level two. But I just want to make it clear up front, everything that we're seeing suggests to us that we're going to be in risk level three for an extended period of time with all of these controls and uh, structures in place that I'm going to describe tonight. The following then are the current proposals consistent with the audit 
and also ongoing international advice of what's been successful in other places around the world and what schools are generally in this region as well as around the world planning for the coming fall. And of course, that news is very mixed as we start talking about colleges, as we talk about others. We don't really know yet uh, what the total fabric is going to look like. And it seems to be very regionally based and very regionally specific now uh, that we've honed in on this. Um, but let's start talking a little bit about some of the things that we want to be discussing tonight. First and foremost, from the uh, uh, audit and from the recommendations that we've been receiving is we will be defining these kind of three key cohorts. Uh, what that means is elementary, middle, and high. Those cohorts will be more firmly rooted and established in our plans going forward. And these cohorts will be isolated. And when I say isolated, there's lots of p bits and pieces to that. But essentially, uh, through the pathway analysis and through some reconfiguration of schedules and entrances and locations of things, we'll be able to isolate these three uh, cohorts uh, pretty articulately through the building. Um, and that goes to uh, having entrances. We've kind of redefined and restructured the entrances a little bit further uh, than what we had shared last time. And that begins to look like this. And so we really will be at four entrances come fall. Uh, three that will be our active entrances for students, an elementary, a middle school, and a high school entrance. All three, all four of those entrances are undergoing uh, significant facility upgrades with sliding glass doors so that there'll be easy entry um, and access with and cameras for temperature sensing and some type of ID system where students will be checking into the building through those entrances. And kids will have to stick to their cohort. Uh, they'll have to enter in those places. So as you can imagine, transportation will literally have three two or three stops where they'll be dropping kids off in order to isolate those. We've shifted the main entrance to being a non-staff adults and administrative entrance. And that whole corridor will be isolated for administrative purposes and isolated from the cohorts. So we'll really keep the cohorts fairly self-contained, the elementary, the middle, and the high within those corridors and restrict access otherwise. And you can see the other lines on this particular map, which was developed by Epexpert as part of the audit, that demonstrates some of the pathway analysis that they did to understand and help us consider how we would address uh, these pathways. Now there are some common pathways um, that are in the building and, and we know those as being like up in the library area, uh, some of the other uh, pathways. We will restrict some and change them to single cohort pathways. Others we will address through scheduling and trying to mitigate or minimize the crossover between groups within those areas. And so it'll be done through a different process when there is a central area where cohorts may cross over with each other. But we'll restrict that significantly. And again, if you go to additional floors in the maps that Epexpert has provided, they've provided some very clear direction in how we can achieve that and how we can minimize it. Now, it will still be some degree of crossover and we know that but we're going to understand how to address this and we're going to deal with this through our original model so if we take a look at that original model with some tweaks that we've changed since then remember we had the health data and that now becomes health data management and health support practices and health environment practices and hey Bill I'm going to ask you to hold the questions until I get through the data and then we'll come back to those I will get to them eventually here. But again, everybody go ahead and put your comments and questions into the chat. I'll try to do my best to come back as the presentation goes on. Um, but the health data management is, is one area, the health support practices, slight name change. And then we had something called health boundary, and we've changed that to health environment. And that will help us, I think, begin to center in on alignment with the audit recommendations so that you can see how these bits and pieces will come together. On the health data front, this really is centering around testing. We will be doing a form of testing. And in fact, we now have the details 
from the EPEXPERT audit so we can go out to bid on this process. We will look at a school funded model at the outset for staff and students. Uh, there's a parent funded model if using an outside provider or if parents want to opt into our school provided methodology in order to gain access. That's not something we're going to do right away but it, the audit has suggested a pathway for parents to come into the school environment if they become part of the protocols and part of of uh, the assessment of contacts and exposure within the community. So we're looking at those methodologies and we'll write up the more clear uh, protocols and procedures for that. Uh, we also have an element of health data that's the contacts exposure community element. And this is where we're going to have logs and maintenance of methodology for daily check of contacts and exposure. Uh, they're going to be submitted on a daily basis in order to manage risk level and risk assessment. And they'll provide uh, effective feedback to parents on what that risk level is and health services that they might seek out in order to address any concerns. And then health services are going to be consistent within our current health monitoring. So we do a lot already with health monitoring within the school setting. Uh, we do the annual physicals, we do health uh, checking in terms of height, weight, and eye, and hearing uh, checking throughout the year. So we'll just add this as an embellishment to this process in assessing health information and maintaining um, essentially a, a thumbs-on status of what our community health is and where we may need to provide mitigation or intervention. And this includes um, when we go to the health environment and when we go to the security aspect of this, uh, where we might restrict access to the campus until testing is completed or until uh, 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 risk is, is addressed in that, in that scenario. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more uh, when we get into some of the um, interaction aspects. There are some recent articles on the testing that I just wanted to share with you. Actually, Dr. Olashuk uh, sent these uh, uh, today after we had a chance to sit down and talk. And Epixpert really has been wonderful partners in helping us to understand best practices and how to apply them. Uh, but just want to reinforce that by doing the testing and by doing some of these uh, logging and community health standards, we can assure an environment here that will allow us to carry on semi-normally within the school setting. And that's consistent with some of the school transmission. This was a French uh, study uh, from the Pasteur uh, organization. Um, they did uh, some really deep study in this one area um, and they had some high levels of cooperation with 1300 uh, plus in the study and they found that there was really only about 8.8 percent of the uh, uh, students that had been infected by the coronavirus but they found almost zero transmission within the school setting. In other words it didn't spread within students and teachers. What we're finding is schools are not a source and that's consistent with what Dr. Olashuk shared with you last time we were together that amongst the Australian school studies for example um, that the actual uh, transmission was uh, very low in school settings. Um, and I know that we mentioned that there was a little bit more, a slightly increased risk of student to adult transmission, but even that in this French study was not proving out, that there was really not this high degree of transmission. Everything that we're doing through the audit and through our actions is going to be about reducing risk so that we can carry on um, a generally normal environment with some degrees of isolation and some protective factors, uh, but get us to a place uh, where uh, some of our other protocols can allow us to have uh, a more open and instructional educational environment. There's another one that also has demonstrated uh, just released today a uh, partnership between a testing company and the OESIS schools network in the United States. And this is one of many that are starting to appear. It, be it is becoming absolutely clear that testing partnerships are going to be a key component of schools opening around the world. Uh, it's not just here uh, where we're considering it, but uh, this example as well as a dozen others at the college as well as at the 
private and public school level um, is moving towards testing. As testing becomes more and more readily available, more and more accurate, more and more cost effective, and particularly with Dr. Olashuk uh, confirming um, last time that we were together um, that um, that we'd be able to do some pooled testing, which reduces the cost further and still has the efficacy of being able to isolate pooled groups within the context of testing. And all of this is, is swab testing, not nasal swab. This is all throat swab testing. It can be taught, uh, but at the initial stages, we'll have practitioners that will be supporting us in doing the testing. And so we'll talk about that in a minute and what the structure looks like, but you can assume that we're looking at testing before school starts of both staff and students, and then a regular regime of testing as recommended by the audit and in our, in our bid specifications. There was one more page on this study, though, that I wanted to emphasize. And it talked about the time pressure, and so that's why all these companies are ramping up right now is to get ready for the beginning of the school year. And so in the case of Centagene, they are ramped up to do 50,000 tests per week to serve uh, the schools at OESIS and upon demand. And, and the pool testing plus our methodology would also do the highest level of privacy and data protection. So we're following basically what they talked about in this article for this example as well, is how they're going to protect data and be able to refer individuals back to seek services uh, by using identifying numbers, but not sharing um, information from the school with the testing agency. They do the test, they report based on the ID number, and then it leads it up to the school to do the necessary reporting and kickback. And we're probably going to, again, be bidding on a system to help us manage all of this. And it'll probably be app or web-based, and it'll probably be some stuff that you'll do at home in the family and other stuff that we'll enter here. We will have kids with ID badges, um, and entry uh, controls at each of our entrances in the school. So it will be a much more lockdown security environment, and I think we should all prepare ourselves for that. Um, then we move on to the health support arena, and these are the practices in school. And so the hygiene practices, of course, the hand washing, the classroom instruction, the entrances, um, the materials that we'll have uh, all around the school. You'll see hand sanitizer stations everywhere throughout the school. We've already started to see some of those installed. We have them at our front entrance right now, but they'll be everywhere and readily accessible to students. Uh, we'll have uh, a tremendous amount of signage and things up that will be directing students. We're going to talk about that more in uh, the environmental concerns. Um, and then the modified distance, you know, I was starting to hint at that, but by using testing, we avoid more significant distancing message, message, measures. And I want to state here, there's a note here. If we can't get a group and a community around this, and if we can't get a high degree of compliance acceptance, then really we do have to go back to a different distancing methodology. And it might mean uh, cohorts, it might mean an A-B schedule in terms of alternating groups, as we're seeing being done in schools elsewhere around the world that aren't using testing, is they do have to go to a much smaller cohort size. And so we're trying to avoid that by using testing as our methodology. The cohort is based on the elementary, the middle, and the high. So these are larger cohorts. And then within that, with the pooling, the pooling gets down to five to 10 individuals in each pool for the testing. So that if we have a positive, we have a small group that we pull out for retesting and for identification purposes. And it gets us into a kind of stair-step model of smaller groups within larger groups uh, within the larger group. And, and, and that gives us enough cohort management that we can do necessary contact tracing when and if contacts or exposures occur. 
I also want to mention that in the distancing there might be special mitigation for certain types of classes. We've talked a lot about music classes um, and, and some other environments where there's more kids. Um, certainly we can mitigate PE, for example, by having them do a lot more outside stuff. Outdoors is going to be the key to uh, kind of making sure that we have a healthy environment. We're going to do lots of, of opportunities for outdoor play and those kinds of things. Uh, but in the case of choir classes, we can do mitigation through equipment, not just through PPEs, personal protective equipment, but also through additional filters in classrooms that are circulating air at higher rates and, and, other, and changing the types and kinds of activities that we do and really look at how we can try to mitigate that. Remember, there is no 100% solution here, but we can do lots of things to try to mitigate where we have special circumstances that go beyond the norm. All right, continuing with health support, um, we also have uh, incident response, so we will, we will be installing isolation areas that are separate from the health room for follow-up on testing and checking when we have, for example, a high temperature or when we have a high risk evaluation. Uh, we'll have protocols in place for nurses and staff on how to manage that. We'll have a crisis team protocol for wider exposure response. Um, and temporary methods for small groups, for those individual cohorts, or for those smaller groups within the cohorts, or the school, if there's enough exposure that we feel like for a period of time until the next testing round we need to do. Remember I stated that I don't believe we'll have long closures in school this next year, but that we may be intermittent shorter closures where we'll go into virtual schooling for a short period of time and then come back after we're able to do a round of testing and checking to determine uh, what kind of exposure we have. And those would be only very adverse situations, but the protocols will be there and the methods will be there. And of course, we've learned a lot through virtual schooling to know that we're going to be doing lots of things in our classrooms to make sure that we're ready for that. In other words, some of those practices that we were doing in virtual school, we're going to bring into regular school and make sure that they're always ready for us to turn the switch. Um, personal protective equipment, yes, there will be some of a uh, 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 viability of masks, but not anything significant, particularly for students. We've heard the plea from parents, and again, we're, with the testing and with the safety bubble, we're not convinced that there's a requirement for masks for students. But we also want to support personal preference and options for those who, who want to. We do know that the adults are going to be in personal protective equipment, particularly those adults that may be crossing between cohorts. And so we're very much aware that PPEs within the school environment are definitely going to be a staple and something that we'll be using quite a bit. And then, of course, we know uh, PPEs are very effective uh, in addressing concerns of vulnerable uh, populations and vulnerable individuals. And the classroom safety zone is, it, as it's supported by this testing, but still allowing for uh, those kinds of of protections within that context and the general acceptance of it as a response. Uh, but within those smaller groups and within the testing bubble that we're creating uh, and within the checking that we're doing and of course within the risk analysis, um, we're not convinced that masks on students for extended period of times is going to make sense. And so there's not a plan on the part of the school to issue that kind of equipment for students uh, or make that a significant part of the day other than in general public and as a choice. And certainly we are definitely going to be using PPEs with adults and making sure that we manage that. And that's again consistent with the audit recommendations based on following our protocol. Again, if we're not able to maintain the testing regime, then we have to look at uh, whether we have to have more use of those kinds of materials in smaller groups with greater distancing um, and, and you know, go to a higher level of intervention. I want to talk about health environment. There's quite a bit 
to go over here. Um, first of all, security and entrance. You saw the map at the beginning, but we're uh, bids and, and uh, details are in preparation right now uh, for secure entrances. And that means ID badging for all. Uh, for kids, we're looking at potentially bracelets uh, that they can wear that'll make it easy for us. Uh, to manage, uh, but it'll be connected to data and to our systems and to our daily checking and our temperature checks at the entrance. Um, and so safety protocols are kind of our key thing here. No non-staff adults in the building at the start. Uh, there is a protocol and an option for parent application to the testing protocol in order to give them access at a, at a certain point. Uh, disinfecting shoe mats at entrances will be required. And we're doing a, a lot with no-touch doorways, a lot of additional automatic doorways at our main entrances and other areas where we can do it. And we're trying to figure out how to reduce touch. Uh, but we're also looking at materials and cleaning methodologies that can provide intervention as well. Um, we have the three entrances plus one. We have increased security to restrict to entrance use. Uh, we are looking at changing locations of nursing, nursing health services, the isolation areas, uh, the pathways to all of these things in order to minimize cohort overlap. Um, the covered walkways, multi-cohort spaces will use a scheduling and pathway limitation. Um, Further, the cleaning uh, rigorous regime per classroom. Uh, Epixpert is helping us to re, uh, reimagine what the cleaning regime looks like as, in terms of both equipment and methodologies. Uh, cleaning staff will be assigned to cohorts and uh, they themselves will be wearing personal protective equipment. Uh, we are also looking at using uh, roaming air cleaning equipment on a rotating basis that will be used to keep um, uh, testing uh, uh, cleaning regimes going. General facility no-touch bottle filling is, is replacing all water fountains. So we're in the process of that. That one's already purchased and um, starting to be installed. Uh, no-touch towel dispensers are all on the purchasing list. No-touch equipment where we can in terms of faucets and things. We won't get to all the faucets. We'll get to as many of them as we can. Uh, but you know, given the time frame and available equipment, we may not get all the no-touch. But we definitely will get the, the towel dispensers. We'll get the bottle filling and replace all of our water fountains. And these are filtered bottle fillers, so they'll be extra safe in that regard. Uh, we have lots of signage and distancing floor guides to install throughout the building. Uh, a lot of uh, cohort isolation signage for hallways and travel guidelines. Um, and we'll have lots of open windows, and we're also resetting a lot of our HVAC equipment to really circulate in more of the outside air into the circulation system. Um, so that gives you a sense of that one. Um, the health environment uh, continues with the subcontractors. The cafeteria, it's still coming together in terms of detail, but it's likely that the elementary will be eating in their classrooms. That means the cafeteria will have to provide uh, optional box lunches. So you'll have to think about whether you have an interest in that. We love some feedback on that and, uh, and we're really gonna be uh, focusing on that. Middle and high will have a revised cafeteria seating plan. We're gonna distance the tables and the seating according to the audit. Uh, recommendations. Uh, there won't be open access to the cafeteria throughout the day. There will be basically a lined process for a boxed meal plan through the cafeteria. Uh, there won't be crossover of adults uh, in the cafeteria, so that'll have to be isolated times except for those adults that are associated with a cohort. Um, and in, and so cafeteria, again, it's coming together, but there's still lots to work on there. Transportation, we have some specifications for transportation on seating plans. Again, by cohort, uh, distancing protocols. This is where masks will be necessary, most likely, and seating. And that's true out in the environment as well, unless, unless distancing is possible. Uh, we will have drivers masked, and they'll have a daily intense cleaning regime for buses. And so we're working on that as well. Um, just some additional topics on top of that. I wanted to touch on after-school activities and athletics. We currently think that we'll be able to do after-school activities and athletics, but it's gonna be under strict cohort alignment and within the cohorts. 
and, and location manage. We kind of already have a schedule that should support us with middle and high being separated by days and so that will help us. Remember that CISA has already declared there won't be any regional travel for first semester, possibly longer. Um, and staff, by the way, will also have restrictions on travel during the first semester. We're not going to be uh, sending staff out on travel uh, for anything during the first semester. So, um, so that's coming along. And, and again, we're hopeful it won't be as robust and it won't have as many options, but we're hopeful we'll still be able to have some of our after-school activities and athletics, even under risk level three, by restricting and limiting it to the cohorts. Um, and then the other one is um, the options. I know people have been asking me often about, well, can I keep my kid home? Well, of course you can. It's always a parent discretion about whether you're ready to send your child to school under the protocol that we establish. But at risk level three, there's some limitations to that. Um, first of all, the first level, and this is true for um, you know, those that might go home on an isolation, for example, uh, a small group that goes home because of a pooled testing for a period of time. In those situations, as well as absences for regular illnesses, we use a hybrid model. By a hybrid model, I mean the child stays in their normal class, but they're receiving support and information from the teacher in terms of things to work on at home, materials, things to keep up with, assignments. We've got our tech stack and our, and our virtual school tools that we can use for that. And so in most cases, kids for an ex a, a limited period of time can stay up with classwork and stay at home. So that's the hybrid model. And we use that, uh, although we have more tools at our fingertips now, we use that when we were self-quarantining back in February uh, for those that came back from Italy where the outbreak first started here in Europe. And so um, that hybrid model still exists, but with enhancements and maybe even a little bit of connecting into classrooms on an occasional basis. To be clear, we are not, and I don't think we're ever going to be able to do um, a, a, a video feed of a classroom. I, I know that, that some have experimented with this out there, but it's just not feasible. And there's nothing in the international community that supports that that's workable. And the screen time associated with that for kids is just not viable. But we think an asynchronous model, uh, a model where kids can still connect to classwork over, again, a limited time period where we reevaluate on a regular basis that we can manage. And teachers can support uh, a, a hybrid model within the context of their existing classroom. When the numbers go beyond just a few kids, just a small percentage of our population, then obviously a parallel virtual school may make sense to us. But it's to be clear, Teachers can't do virtual school and in school at the same time. Uh, those two don't go together. So we'd have to look at whether we had numbers that would suggest to us that we could split off a group and change a teacher's assignment for one period or one class to be virtual school. And a lot of this depends upon the confidence level and the numbers and whether that option would be possible for us uh, to provide that. So I, I can't promise what limited virtual school options we may be able to provide, but we definitely already have familiarity with the hybrid model and our hope is we will be open, we will be in school and we would hope for 80 plus percent uh, to be with us on the first day of school in regular school following our regimes and and building our our, our process within this uh, bubble and this safety that we're trying to create okay um, that's where we're at for the moment. That's the detail that I'm prepared to share with you tonight. Again, I've got um, 60 plus pages here of, of audit and document that we're digging through uh, here in the command center. We're getting everything up on the walls and then developing them into project management projects so that we can make sure we cover all of this. But um, I'm going to uh, roll back now and start answering questions and see what I can come up with. So I've got my laptop next to me here. 
and hopeful that I can scroll back and maybe catch the earlier questions. Uh, Bill, coming back to you, yes, uh, teachers will generally stay in cohorts. However, using personal protective equipment, we have the ability for teachers to cross over between cohorts. And this is true for some of our uh, teachers that cross over between middle and high. Um, elementary and middle in some cases, um, specialists, administrators, all of us when we cross over cohorts will have uh, requirements for use of personal protective equipment in order to cross over between those cohorts. And so there will be an ability for some to cross over, uh, but the kids won't cross over and, uh, and it'll be adults that do the crossing. And that's how we manage the cohort and the sanctity of that cohort within the context of this. Um, scrolling down here, let's see. Uh, you all, um, uh, Maria, thank you for that. Um, after school activities for elementary, yes, that's still within that framework. If we stay within the cohort, then there's a possibility that on a limited set of things, we can still provide for some after-school activities. Maybe not right away at the start of the year. We've got to get used to our protocols, get used to our process. So that's where we're going to start. Um, Claudia's question, um, and I, I don't know that I was really clear on it, so let me clarify it. Um, yes, parents will not be entering the cohort areas. All of their business will be done in the adult administrative cohort areas. And so um, we will do all of that through there. Um, we'll do much, if not most, of our meetings, our, our group gatherings in virtual format, like this Facebook Live or in some format of similar nature. But there won't be large group gatherings. Um, this is true for assemblies, for example. We won't be packing hundreds of kids into tight spaces. Classrooms we can do at their normal level, but we're not going to be doing large gatherings. That's very specific uh, law within Poland right now in terms of limit of indoor group sizes, as well as the audit's recommendations that we will really limit group sizes. Um, the chance to meet outside and outside areas, that's one we're considering, uh, where there might be an opportunity to uh, gather in an outside setting, kind of like we did our drive-in theater. Uh, you know, Maybe something along those lines after we get settled into our year. But we've got to provide for the distancing, and we've got to provide for the safety protocols and stay within the guidelines. So. Um, that, that's what we're working on. We do feel that some of our virtual settings have worked fairly well for us and we get better at them all the time. So we're hopeful that we can continue this. I'll certainly be in Facebook Live on a regular basis for our town halls and certainly that has helped us. And recording those and allowing parents to watch those after has been powerful uh, as has the morning messages to kids and how they're able to watch them over and over again. And so we're, we're convinced that there's some good opportunities there for us. Um, online, so there Claudia had it, the online grade level meetings. There you go. Um, the PTO, Maria just uh, noted the PTO coffee mornings will go virtual in the beginning. And uh, we've been talking, I've been talking with the PTO. By the way, welcome PTO board. Uh, they just posted a picture in the parents group. So please go take a look at that if you get a chance. Uh, the gals are getting together and we're meeting already. So getting ready for the year. Uh, let's see. Um, Let's see. I'm looking to see if there are other questions. Maybe I've missed some here, but um, Bill, thank you for thank you. Uh, Claudia, great. Um, at this time, there doesn't seem to be a plan in place for parents who are not comfortable for their children to be in the classroom. No, I think what I said, Emily, is the plan is hybrid. Uh, if you're not ready to send your child to school, we'll start in hybrid mode where we'll be providing materials and access uh, to the things you would normally have access to, Google Classroom, Seesaw Elementary. Uh, we'll be using some of our strategies from virtual school to kind of keep you engaged through that hybrid mode, uh, but it won't be full virtual school. And so uh, we won't have all of the layers, but we will have the hybrid mode if there 
are parents that are comfortable. And that would be for a limited time period. And then we would evaluate with you and determine whether you're going to extend that time period. And if so, how long we're planning to extend it. And again, just based on these numbers, we'll have to look and see whether there's an ability for us to assign teachers and staff to a, a more of a virtual school option and for what time period we just can't continue on virtual school at the same time as we're doing regular school um, at the same time hybrid we can do and we can do additional things with that hybrid and tease out a model for that but we can't do in school and virtual school for an extended period of time at the same time and so hopefully that helps to clarify that but we do have a plan for those that are not comfortable with their children to be in the classroom and that's going to be uh, the hybrid approach. They'll still have the teacher, they'll still have the classroom assignments, they'll still have the schedule, they'll still have the content and everything that they are expecting but they'll be doing it in a hybrid mode for a period of time until you have a comfort level um, that we can demonstrate to you to send your child back to school. Um, let's see uh, Bill, you dropped in Library Design Center. I'm not sure what you're asking there, but again, we're looking at as much cohort isolation as we can. So spaces associated with cohort, cleaning between, maybe rethinking scheduling, uh, minimizing the crossover in those areas uh, to the degree that we can. Again, it's not 100% perfect. We're looking for like 97% uh, cohort isolation and and we manage the crossover by looking at the schedule and looking at the timing. Maybe we move some classes to other rooms. Uh, maybe we come up with a different location for some things. Remember, the adults can move. It's the kids we're trying to isolate in the cohort. Um, so it's the adults throwing on their PPEs and moving from space to pace that will help us get through this. Okay. Um, I've got some thank yous there. Other questions, please pop them in. Um, we're definitely looking to try to answer any other questions. I will be throwing out a survey again for this. So if, you, if you're here and you watched it, you can go directly to the survey. If you're not here, and then you watch it first and then you fill out the survey and it'll be a similar question. How are you feeling about our planning now? We had very good numbers last time. I, I shared those with you on Monday's bulletin. Uh, and so we want to do that again, that same thing. And instead of Dr. Oleshock, it'll just be me and what I'm sharing with you. How comfortable are you? How confident are you in our planning? Is there anything else that you can think of that we should be thinking about? And how might we do it? Uh, by the way, just again on the testing, you know, it, it, we're talking about uh, throat swab testing. It's very easy to do. We can even teach parents. Uh, there is a plan that we could even have kits that go home that you can do in home. Um, and you can also choose your uh, own provider if you want to. And we'll figure out the protocols for that. The details will be coming. But Heidi, yes, I have answered this a couple of times now. Testing will be required required to attend school. Uh, you'll have to have testing. It'll be on a weekly basis. Uh, for us, when we do it in-house, we'll be doing it in a pooled setting. And so we'll be able to identify and then refer for additional testing if any positives come up. But definitely, um, we'll be looking at um, how we can um, uh, do a, a, a rigorous testing environment consistent with what schools around the world are now adopting as the best methodology for protecting the community. Again, the testing has limited efficacy. Everybody knows this, so that's why it has to be on a regularly scheduled basis. And we see it fitting in to a classroom, just like, you know, you used to be in classrooms when I was a kid and it was toothbrushing time or it was a dental check time or it was time to walk down to the nurse and get your hearing or your eyes checked. So we see it very much like that. It'll be non-invasive, very quick and simple. Uh, we'll have professionals here in the early stages that'll run the process for us moving from space to space or having groups come to them um, in central areas and uh, we'll figure out the rotation and the plan and the scheduling of everything but uh, definitely we see tests as uh, the path forward and the way in which we get to it. Uh, Paul, I don't have an answer on open doors and recess. Recess 
is clear. Outside time is good time and, and it's healthy for kids. Remember, we're banking on the testing and the bubble and on the research that says spread between and amongst kids is zero, near zero. It's very low. And the more time they spend outside, the better. The, au the audit as well as multiple sources are saying the more outside time we put in, the better it is for kids. Uh, play areas outside, open air is all comfortable setting for kids and provides for a very healthy environment. Open doors, I don't know about yet. Uh, that's a more uh, difficult question in terms of in-building group mixing, and it may be that we're going to be modifying or changing some of that uh, within the elementary schedule. By the way, uh, uh, Principal Flatiger is uh, arri imminently arriving uh, tomorrow. He'll be one of our first uh, coming in uh, from North America and so we'll be welcoming him tomorrow and getting him settled into Warsaw and then new staff are going to start arriving here in the next uh, two three weeks as they start getting settled in so we're excited to be uh, preparing to welcome them. Uh, looking for other questions is there anything else out there? Seeing none let me just toss up really quickly um, the summer schedule for town halls, uh, the next one will now be July 29th. We're going to go into work mode here and start putting things together and see if we can uh, you know, really get on the plans and the purchasing and all the equipment and installation that we need to be doing. So I won't come back to you until a report of summer progress on July 29th. And uh, we'll be uh, pulling that together. Um, and I just caught a, a question over here on the side about the slides. Yes, I will share the slides just like I did with Dr. Olashuk. I'll share the slides, but they'll go out with the video link tomorrow so that you'll be able to get to them right away. Um, and so that's the summer schedule. Uh, details on testing and such might come pre-July 29th so that people can start getting ready for that. You need to be checking. I, I don't know if there's anybody that's traveling outside of Poland right now, uh, but you need to be constantly checking the requirements and quarantine issues uh, for U.S. citizen, for U.S. Uh, people for people coming from, excuse me, from the United States to Poland, right now it's everybody's expectation. If you you can only come if you're coming on essential travel, which means you work here, you have a contract here, you're coming in here to work, or you have diplomatic credentials or whatever your case might be. You have to be one of those approved essential groups, and you'll have a 14-day quarantine, probably managed by daily checks by the government. So just be prepared for that. Other countries, I don't know what to tell you. We're hearing right now, Canada, no quarantine requirement. If you fly in from Canada into, into Poland, uh, you'll be greeted warmly and it seems no quarantine will be required. Uh, but these things are changing on a daily basis. And we're constantly making phone calls to foreign ministry and others to try to make sure we've got the right information. So you're going to have to stay tuned for a little bit longer before we have a degree of clarity on what this looks like for the travel going forward. Okay, I think that's it for me tonight. We hit a peak of about 40 people out there. So thank you all for the, those who joined me and for your questions. Uh, we'll push the video out tomorrow as we usually do. But for now, I'm going to get my bicycle helmet on because I've got my bike today and I'm going to ride my bike back home. And uh, we've also got a special ending for you tonight. Bike kit, bike kids. Always wear your helmet when you're riding your bike, okay? Just reminding you. And we've got a special treat for you tonight. The outgoing music is from Miss Bechtolt and the After School High School Choir. And so stay tuned. It's, it's an audio clip. There's a little bit of uh, imagery, but uh, the audio clip, um, it's a wonderful song. I listened to it today like five times. It was just an amazing. Uh, thank you to Theo and the group and all the people who contributed to this. And so we're taking you out of our town hall and Facebook Live uh, with the high school after school choir.
Somebody 